say, oh yeah, when you found Luke 19. And he entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Everybody say he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was a small man in stature. I can relate. Amen. (laughs) He was a small man in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see the Lord Jesus Christ, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, everybody say the place, an appointed place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when all the people saw it, they all grumbled like a good church would. Amen. And said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it four times or fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I titled this message Encounter because when you go below the surface and hang out there for a while, you encounter some amazing things that you would never have imagined. The encounter Jesus had with Zacchaeus was one that Zacchaeus would never have imagined. Today we're going to set the scene. I'm going to set the scene. It's going to take a little longer than normal to set the scene of Zacchaeus this morning. So I need you guys to stay with me for about five minutes. Everybody say five minutes. All right, stay with me for five minutes as I set this scene this morning. In setting the scene, the Bible says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And I said, everybody say rich. Now, previously in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Get ready, a rich man's fixing to inherit heaven. So all your previous bad theological and doctrinal thoughts about rich people not going to heaven, throw them out the window. He said it's tough because they're going to have to choose between gods. He didn't say it was impossible, amen? So this morning as we set this scene we got to find out what Jesus is doing. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. And how many of y'all love the IRS in here? (laughs) Come on, now you're supposed to love your enemies. I'm telling you. The difference is we read chief tax collector, and all we get is the image of the IRS, somebody who takes the first percentage of our money before we even get the paycheck. And we 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 have this Western culture ideal of what tax collector is, But literally, tax collector in the um, New Testament at Jesus' time meant this. It meant he was a traitor. He was a traitor, uh, somebody who betrayed their own people. You see, Zacchaeus was a Jewish man hired by the Roman government who was ruling over Jerusalem at that time. And so a Jewish man was hired by the Roman government to tax Jewish people, and he had to take their money from their own people. The problem is, The Romans empowered such people to an extent that they just didn't have to take what was due the Romans. They could take whatever they wanted to take. So Zacchaeus is this person who's hired by the Roman government to take money money and things from the people. And basically Zacchaeus was a hired person and he not only collected taxes but he extorted millions and yes I say millions of dollars. A lot of times when you think of Jesus in in the time of Israel, you think of these old mud shacks. You think of these little caves and mountains. Have you looked up castles in the Middle East at any time in the past two years? 
Have you seen some of these mega billion, billion, billion dollar houses and mansions in the state that some of these people have? It was no different in Jesus' time. The Middle East had money. Why do you think the Romans wanted to conquer it? It wasn't just because, oh, we like the Jews and we think that'd be great slaves. <laughs> no, the Bible said to the Jews, everything that you hand touch, your hand touches prospers and those who you bless, or those who bless you, I will bless. So the Jewish people were very prosperous people until they disobeyed God and went away and did their own thing. And then it opened it up for the Romans to come in and overtake them and overthrow them and take all that they had. And so Zacchaeus, he became a traitor. He said, listen, instead of being in captivity for God's people, I'll go be a servant to hell. Right? See, a lot of you are living a life that says, rather than be burdened with doing goods of Christian deeds, I'll go be a servant in Satan's kingdom. Do whatever I want to do, because in the end, God will forgive me anyway. We're going to find that there's a change in how your theological beliefs must be for this to take place. See, he didn't really do the dirty work. Zacchaeus didn't. He was in charge of all the dirty work. This is the image I get. Have you heard a lot about the drug cartels lately? The person at the top really doesn't do a lot of the dirty work, right? He's just in charge of all the dirty work and gets the money that happens when all the dirty work takes place. See, Zacchaeus was the equivalent in today's world of a pimp, a sex trafficker, the leader of the drug cartel or the head of the mafia. That's who he was. He was hired by the Romans to, uh, to, to oppress his own people. And he had the force of the Roman military to make it happen. So he had his goons out there that if you didn't pay, would come get you a beating and take your money anyway. This is who Zacchaeus was. So even though he was short and had little man syndrome, right? He had all the power behind him. He had the authority of the world's strongest government at that time who ruled the world with an iron fist. And so what Zacchaeus said in the area that he was over happened in this area that he was over. Zacchaeus was not a good person. He wasn't the nicest person in the world. And so his job was to collect money for the Roman government, and anything he could collect on top of what the Romans required, he could keep for himself. So his job was extortion, and he was real good at extorting money out of the Jewish people. Understand this, he was really good as do, at doing what was legal, but not at what was doing what was right. Even though it was legal what he was doing, it was still sinful what he was doing. I need you to get this point this morning. Even though it is legal to do stuff in the United States of America, doesn't mean it is not sinful to do it. When you make the law of the United States of America your moral compass, your spiritual conscience, you are living by a different God than the Word of God. And you've got to begin to understand, just because it's legal to do it, doesn't mean it's not sinful when you do it. Understand this. As the American law begins to swing farther and farther away from God's Word, there's going to be a bunch of stuff that it's legal for Christians to do. That doesn't mean it's not sinful, and that doesn't mean it is not moral. That doesn't mean it's morally right. When we make the United States law and United States government our conscience, we will have a great fall of the United States, and we will see and experience the mockery that is due people who make the world's law their conscience. This isn't a doom and gloom message, okay? 
Some of y'all are thinking, oh, Lord, here he goes. I was wondering when he was going to get into this. No, this isn't a doom and gloom message. This is simply a message of you realizing that there is a greater law in place than the United States law. There is a greater law in place than the law that the world is governed by. There is called God's law. And that is morally sound and biblically correct and doctrinally strong. That will change your life to such an extent that the American law would begin to abide by your law when you'll walk above the law. Not just do what the law says, because Jesus addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you do what is required of you. Everybody does that. It's law. But he says, when you are required to go one mile, do morally right and go two. See, Jesus is raising a whole other standard. So if we continue to use the American law as the justification and make it our moral conscience of what is sinful and what is not sinful, we, be, we will be the recipients of a fallen society. So Zacchaeus was this person. He was doing what was legally right but morally wrong, and he knew it. He was doing what was legally okay in the eyes of the government but morally wrong to his people. See, in some of the other countries around the world, sex trafficking is not illegal, but is it morally right? Everybody say no. I'm just going to give you a hint on that answer, okay? I didn't want... Okay? In the United States of America... Adultery is not, it's not illegal, but is it morally right? No. So see, there's things that are morally wrong that are still biblically, or, or American law legal. Derek just gave a great message on giving your tithes. Is it illegal to not give tithes? Not by the American law. But by God's law, is it morally wrong if you don't do it? Of course it is. I'll just answer that one for you, okay? Let's read about the encounter. And the Bible says, And Zacchaeus, he was a short man who went out to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now Zacchaeus, when he was up in a tree and he ran, he did two things Jewish men never did. The first thing Zacchaeus did as a Jewish man is he ran. And especially, particularly rich Jewish men did not run. See, Jewish men, when they were rich, wore these fine, great, seamless robes. And to wear a robe and to run, he would have to grab the robe and pull it up to his thighs. Men, how many of y'all would just grab a robe and just pull it up to your thighs and run in public? <laughs> He did something that was completely out of Jewish custom. So for him, as a rich man, a rich Jewish man who knew Jewish customs, he ran, so he pulled, the, he pulled his, his robe up to his thighs and took off running. The second thing that he did, he climbed up in a tree. Do you remember he was in a robe? <laughs> Enough said. Some of y'all get that admit. Just do this and you'll catch it, okay? I promise. Some of y'all are like, huh? You don't climb trees in a robe. I'm just saying. On the, on the serious side of that, Damon, it'd be like you climbing a tree in an Armani suit. It would be like you ladies wearing a Dolce & Gabbana dress and climbing a tree. You don't do it. How many of y'all ladies have ever been dressed up in a really nice going out, out nice somewhere dress? And you say, I'm just going to go climb a tree. <laughs> no, because your manicure get jacked up, your pedicure get jacked up, you tear your dress... And then your husband would be mad because you're mad because your dress tore. Right? So they did two things that Jewish men never did. But Jesus, he called him. And Jesus said, 
And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. Have you ever read that and wondered why Jesus said he must? He came to, the Bible says, the place. He didn't just say he stopped in the road and looked up. He said he came to the place and said, I must stay at your house today. I must go there. I must um, stay at your house. And when Jesus said he must, the encounter began to take place. See, when you go scuba diver and have an encounter, there's certain things you must do. And when Jesus said, I must stay at your house, this was an act of friendship to the most well-known, notorious criminal of the day that Jesus lived in. So Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus. Now, how he knew Zacchaeus' name, I don't know. I get the gist. I don't believe it was a word of knowledge from heaven dropped into his spirit. He's like, oh, that's Zacchaeus. Call him out. I don't believe that. I believe Zacchaeus was so notoriously known from where he was at and from what he did in the time that he was there. I believe he was so notoriously known that Jesus recognized who he was because of how notorious he was. This would be like you going into the worst sinner's house that you know of. And granted, in Northeast Texas, there's some bad people. But it's like when everybody knows who the major drug dealer in town is, and you saw Pastor Joel go into his house. Ooh, I knew there was something up with that pastor. (laughs) Things are just going way too good at that church for him not to be doing something wrong. Right? Did you understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down for I must stay at your house today. See, Zacchaeus was a rich man. He had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of money. Zacchaeus ate well, but he ate alone. Zacchaeus has everything, but no one to enjoy it with. Zacchaeus has lavish luxury, but no one to love and share it with. So when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down, Zacchaeus came down quickly, and the Bible says he hurried to his house. Because Jesus didn't travel alone. He had the 12 disciples with him. So Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to become your new best friend today. Could you imagine going to the loneliest person you know who's depressed and doesn't have a friend, always sits by themselves in church, always is alone in public, never has a friend to go hang out with, and you walk up to him and with your 13 best friends and say, welcome to the club, you are now part of our crew, you got 13 of the best friends you'll ever have in your life. Let's go eat dinner. And we're going to your house, not my house. (laughs) Woo-hoo. Zacchaeus said, oh, I got this. I can imagine Zacchaeus running into his mansion. And all the servants who didn't like him, but they were paid good enough to be there. And he runs in and says, I got Jesus coming. And they'd be like, whatever. (laughs) I've heard of this Jesus. He hangs out with good people. He's a Christian, you know. Right? He hangs out with the good people. And then Jesus shows up with his 12 friends and everybody freaks out. And they start running around, and they get this big feast ready for Jesus to hang out with. And I would love to, I wish this dialogue was expanded a lot more, to find out what happened at Zacchaeus' house, to find out what happened when he was there. But Jesus, the long story short, says, I'm going to your house, and we're going to eat. And this is what the church did. And when all the people saw it, they grumbled, for he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. See, the church began to respond like this. Pastor Joel went to the worst drug dealer's house in the city. (laughs) Well, you know that drug dealer. He's got a way with people, and he'll talk anybody into anything. See, they were talking about Zacchaeus, not to him. They were talking about Jesus, not to him. Some of y'all label this as prayer. (laughs) Right? 
Some of us label this as prayer. Well, you know what sister so-and-so did yesterday? I saw her at the club. I was just driving by, but I just, I saw her going in. I wasn't there. (laughs) See, you're talking about her, not to her. And some of us label this as prayer. Or your best friend. Well, I saw him coming out of a convenience store, and he had something in a bag. You know Sauber Spring sells beer now. Mm-hmm. Y'all, y'all, you know what I'm talking Y'all are trying not to laugh. He's like, oh, Lord Jesus, that's me. Oh, God, he done called me out in church. You know what I'm talking about. And the church back then is the same as the church now. Instead of addressing the problem, they want to talk about it to everybody and say it's prayer. So we should just pray for them, but you never stop and pray. You just go on about your gossiping business. Mm-hmm, come on. Some of y'all, this got deep quicker than you were hoping it would. <laughs> Let's go back to the Jewish history. I like that part. <laughs> y'all ain't ever been seminary-minded in your life until now. <laughs> And Jesus walks into the most notorious sex trafficking, drug cartel, mafia, pimp person in the city. Y'all ain't ever heard those four words in church like that either. (laughs) Say, dang, pastor's cussing up on stage. And he walks in there with his 12 friends, and they sit down to eat. Y'all ready to go deeper? And some of y'all are like, I don't know. I I just got called. Here's our dive point. Here's where we're going deeper. Zacchaeus stood up by Jesus and he said two of the most theologically sound doctrinal words the history has ever known. He said, Behold, Lord. Somebody, okay, that's good, right? No, you don't understand. He said, Behold, Lord. And when he said this, Rome used to be his Lord. Caesar used to be his lord. Caesar made him a millionaire, if not a billionaire. It used to be his lord. And when he stood up and said, behold, lord, he said, I'm turning my back on Rome. I'm turning my back on Caesar. Jesus, I'm turning to you. You are now lord of my life. Some of you need to quit your jobs because you know you're doing what's legal in the United States but immoral before God. And I won't repent for saying that. Zacchaeus stood here and said, I've done what's legally right but morally wrong. Behold, Lord, I'm quitting Rome, I'm quitting Caesar, I'm following Jesus. Some of you need to change some aspects of your life. Because you came in here and just a minute ago, you thought you were the gossiping church, but now you realize you're even worse than the gossiping church ever thought about. You need to declare a new Lord in your life. Because this is what begins to happen when Zacchaeus said, Behold, Lord, Rome and Caesar had made him rich beyond his wildest of dreams. But when he said Jesus and talking to him and said, Behold, Lord, he was turning his back on Rome. But listen to this. Religion says, Lord. Salvation lives, Lord. We're finna go deep here. Religion says, Lord, salvation lives, Lord. Some of you come to church every morning and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, Spirit, take me where my trust is without borders and my faith will make me stronger and all those great songs that we sing. You say, Lord, but the minute walking by faith comes, you don't live, Lord. See, you live religion, not salvation. I live religion, not salvation. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Behold, Lord, He said, I will no longer live religion. I'm going to live salvation. 
I will no longer live this lifestyle that just acknowledges who God is. I will live and make Jesus Lord of my life, and I will show people who God is. Behold, Lord, he says. Religious says, Lord. Salvation lives, Lord. Listen to this. Religion grumbles when sinners receive grace. Salvation is generous with grace. Religion grumbles when sinners receive grace. Salvation is generous with grace. Grace walked into the midst of the worst sinner in the whole world at that point and was generous unto him. You want to know how I know Zacchaeus became saved that day? Became born again, was a new creation in Christ? He did not just say, I need the grace of God. He began to be generous with the grace of God. He said, all the poor people, I'm going to give half my millions to the poor. Oh, Lord Jesus. Some of y'all got saved and said, I I don't know if I want to be baptized. Right? Some of y'all are scared of getting your hair wet on Sunday morning. Zacchaeus says, I'm born again. I'm giving half my money to the poor. Salvation is generous with grace. The grace that God had imparted in Zacchaeus' life was riches. And he knew he could change the world with riches. And he didn't stop there. He said, I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor. Go take care of it. I have $500 million, $250 million. Let's give it to the poor. Who do you think became Zacchaeus' best friend? All the poor. Oh, Pastor Joel just won $500 million. Because somebody gave him a lottery ticket, right? <laughs> Some of y'all will catch that. Some of y'all will catch that. And with that $500 million, the first thing I do is say, I'm giving half of it to the poor. Everybody all of a sudden became needy and impoverished, right? Well, I knew him way back when he started the church, and I've supported him all along. Well, I never saw you in church. Well, I supported you in spirit. Immediately when Zacchaeus said, I'm giving $250 million to the poor, how many people you think jumped up and said, I'm his friend? Religious people grumble when grace is given generously. When you get saved, you begin to give grace generously. See, the religious people who did not know Christ were mad that Jesus went into the house of a sinner. And those religious people that were mad were fixing to get blessed by the very person they hated and were just talking bad about. And now listen, the very people who you are mad at and you have unforgiveness towards, your exes, your, your, your previous employers, some, some estranged relationships of friends that have turned their back on you, and they get born again, or they have a life-changing experience with God. You don't rejoice with them. You're mad about it, but the very people God is saving to bless you, you're grumbling about. Now, come on, that's good. See, when people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the whole church ought to begin rejoicing. I don't care how bad they are or what their life looked like previously because God is setting up a way for his grace to be generously given. And if the church will not generously give God's grace, he'll save some lost and dying sinners who are going to hell who have no other choice but to give generously because that's all they know about Jesus is his generosity. See, I'm ready for a church to be generous with his grace. Be generous with the grace of God. Pour it out on people's lives. I was so excited during the altar call last week how people just received the grace of God. And I pray that you didn't harden your heart, but you left last week and were generous with God's grace. See, religious people grumble when God's grace is given. Salvation is generous with grace. Now I want you to evaluate your life on this next point. Religion takes, salvation gives. Religion takes forgiveness, takes love, takes grace, and takes friendships. Salvation gives It gives forgiveness, gives love, gives grace, and gives friendships. This is how we can tell how religious the world is today. 
Whenever everybody keeps coming into the church and, oh, we're takers, we're takers, we're takers, we're takers. I need forgiveness. I need love. I need this. I need that. I need this. You're trying to fill a religious void. But when you get born again, the Bible says on the inside of you, there's going to be a river of living water that doesn't take, but it gives. So you begin to give love. You give grace. You give forgiveness. You give friendship. And you become the body of Christ to a lost and dying world. The United States as a whole is full of churches far and wide that are religious because we're taking all the forgiveness of God and we're not giving forgiveness to our fellow brother and sister of Christ. We're taking all the grace of God but we're not giving grace generously to those who need it. We're taking all the friendship from God but we're not being God's friend to a lost and dying world. We're taking all the love of God because he loved us so much he gave his one and only son Jesus Christ but we're not giving a bunch of love to a lost and dying world and it's time that we become saved and born again and not religious any longer. I want to strongly emphasize the points of the difference between religion and salvation. If all you've ever done in your church life your whole life is sit and take and sit and take and sit and take, you've got a great religious work going. But I know people when they got born again, they were wanting to do everything from sweep floors and clean toilets to preach if I'd let them. And you know what? Some of those born again radically saved people are the best preachers I ever know because they didn't know about the word of God. They experienced the word of God. Had a young man two weeks ago get born again. He said, I just got to testify about something. It'll take 40 seconds. I said, well, tell me what you're going to say. He told me, and I said, you need to share that with the church. He said, I know. That's why I said I need to come testify. <laughs> so I gave him the mic, and 40 seconds later, everybody was standing up clapping because those who have been forgiven much love much. I know what I've been forgiven. That's why I don't look at people different when they walk through the doors. I don't care if you pull up in a Mercedes, a BMW, a Lexus, a Maserati, or I don't care if you pull up in a Pinto from 50 years back before they were even invented. (laughs) Because when you let Jesus Christ get a hold of somebody, they can turn half their riches over to the poor. And then get this. Damon, he went back and said, I'm going to restore fourfold anybody I've cheated. Oh, Zacchaeus now just became your best friend. (laughs) Remember that, remember that grill I let so-and-so borrow four years ago and they never returned? He just bought us a whole outdoor patio set <laughs> four times. Now I want to make a clear differentiation right now. Restitution is not, restitution is not penance. It is not working off your old deeds with new deeds. Penance is this. You've done this much sin, you've got to go do this much good work, and when your good works offset your bad works, you've done penance, and so now you're better than you are bad. That doesn't go in Christ. That doesn't work in Christianity. It may work in any other religion you want it to work in, but not Christianity. You are saved and born again by the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. But because you've been saved and born again, I'm fixing to start restoring. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give. I'm going to share it. I'm going to bless people back for what I've heard them. Uh, restitution is not karma. It's not karma. I hear Christians using this word. Oh, that's just bad karma. <laughs> Don't ever use that word. That, that is some, some Hinduistic religious term that if I do enough good deeds, the good deeds are going to come around. If you're going to say it as a Christian, say, I believe in sowing and reaping. And those who sow good seed in the spirit and the word of God will reap a harvest in due time, the Bible says, if we faint not. <laughs> If we're going to be Bible, let's use Bible words and don't call it karma. But it's not karma. It's not doing enough good deeds to make good things come around. It is not a works-based salvation. Zacchaeus said, Lord, I stood up and declared, Lord. And Jesus said, today salvation's come to his house. And Zacchaeus said, good. So now $250 million goes to the poor and four times I'm going to pay back anybody who I cheated. What do you think the line outside his house looked like? What do you think his accountants were doing? <laughs> Lord Jesus, help us too. <laughs> 
a change took place. Restitution is this. It is restoring for the defrauding or tearing down you've done. Repentance is a notable change with an outward action that changes the world you live in. I'll never forget when God got a hold of my life when I was 19. I was 19 years old. And the, the first thing God had me do in the area of restitution in my life was this. There was a young man who I was decent friends with in high school. And we were all sitting around a lunchroom table. And, and he, 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 was in, he was a sophomore in high school. And I guess acne had just sprung up all over his face during the, the freshman to sophomore year. And like he had, the, he had just, it just looked bad, okay? I'm just going to stop there. And I ended up just, just off the top of my head, there were people around and, and somebody said something, I ended up cracking a joke and it was making fun of him, pretty much unintentional, not meaning to hurt his feelings, but I could tell at that moment I did something on the inside of him and it devastated him. It devastated him to the point where we didn't talk much for about three years. It's not like we ignored each other, we were mean to each other or hateful. We just didn't talk. There was a big separation between us, and you could feel it every time you walked by. Have you ever been there just feel that there's some issue between you and somebody else? And you could feel whenever I walked by, and when God got a hold of my life, he said the first thing you need to do in the area of restitution is you need to go to this man's house and apologize to him for what you said. He may not even remember it, but you need to restore. And I was like, God, but why? He said, because that's what being born again is. It is going and bringing restitution and healing back to all those places you tore down. Some of you in your marriage, you're still married, but you're not happily married. Start restitution in your marriage. I went back to that young man's house, and I said, listen, I just got to talk to you for 30 seconds. If you got 30 seconds, I'll talk to you. And you could tell the tension was still there. Immediately when they opened the door, it was still there. I said, hey, I just got to apologize to you. I don't know if you remember this or not, but a few years back, we were sitting at a lunch table, and I made fun of you and because you had acne on your face. And he said, at that moment, I felt horrible, but I didn't apologize to you then. So I'm coming to you now because God has laid it on my heart to come to you and ask for your forgiveness for saying that to you. And if I've offended you and hurt you anyway, I apologize. And whatever I need to do to make it right, let me know. And he stood there just dumbfounded for a second. And he said, you know, I, I mean, you could tell he remembered it. But not wanting to make a big deal out, he said, T, we're good, bro. And from that moment on, we started becoming friends again. Slowly moved closer together, and we ended up doing Bible studies together. And we ended up making life-changing decisions together as we both went into careers and fields and different things like that. I didn't do it to have a works-based salvation to say, if I do this, it'll go towards my salvation experience. No, I did it because I was saved, and God has come to seek and to save that which lost. And what was lost was not just his soul or, or his soul in that moment, but our friendship was lost. So God is wanting to do restitution more than just finding people who aren't saved and going to heaven. He's wanting to restore families. He's wanting to restore husbands and wives. He's wanting to restore parents and kids. He's wanting to restore grandparents and grandkids and nieces and uncles and aunts and, and cousins and all across the board he's wanting restitution to take place because listen salvation does these three things salvation lives lord salvation is generous with grace and salvation gives it gives forgiveness love grace and it gives friendship restitution zacchaeus stood there and gave restitution and i wonder what would happen if we interviewed the crowd now lines standing up of people just getting money given to them Poor people standing up over here just saying, getting blessed with $250 million. What would people say about Zacchaeus then? I know exactly what the church would say. Well, we'll see how long this lasts. It's the most grievous thing I've ever heard people say. Well, we'll see how long she's really changed. We'll see how long he really stays faithful. We'll see how long he really is this or he really is that or he, she really does this or she really does that. Come on, church, get out of religion and get into a salvation. Because the very people... The very people 
who have this amazing salvation experience because they're shunned by the church. Many do fall back into their old ways, but I don't hold that against the person falling back necessarily as much as I do to the people who didn't say, come out of the tree, I'm going to your house, we're fixing to be friends, and I'm going to call you out and we're going to live right. See, Jesus is coming here this morning, he's calling people out of trees. Some of you are in the tree this morning. Some of you came this morning, I've heard about this church, I've heard about the preacher, and you decided to come and just sit in somewhere and slide on in, and you're up in the tree. Well, if you're in the tree this morning, Jesus is saying, it's time to come out of the tree, and it's time to come down, because I'm going to your house today. Jesus is wanting to call you out of a tree and come to your house. And some of you got saved back in 1951, but you're still in a tree looking for Jesus. Jesus is saying, come out of the tree, I'm going to your house today. Now, was this just a one-time dive for Zacchaeus? Did he have the one-hit wonder? Did he have this amazing transformation and Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house? What happened with Zacchaeus after the fact? See, Zacchaeus is only mentioned in these verses of the Bible. In these first ten verses of the Bible is the only place you'll, you'll read about Zacchaeus. But I want you to realize that there is something called church history. That's not necessarily in the Bible, but it's church history. Professional divers do this. They go down for more than one dive. In fact, professional divers make diving a lifestyle. I pray that you make diving a lifestyle. I want to read to you the life of Zacchaeus. We only hear Zacchaeus at this one time in the Bible, but Zacchaeus just didn't have the one encounter. He became a professional diver. Clement was the bishop of Alexandria. In one of his sermons, he writes this. The holy apostle Zacchaeus was a rich publican slash tax collector at Jericho. Since he was short in stature, he climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see his Savior passing by. After the ascension of the Lord, St. Zacchaeus accompanied St. Peter on his travels where he was ordained by the Apostle Peter. He later became the Bishop of Caesarea in Palestine where he died in peace. Now come on now. Notice what I said. I said, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. I'm going to your house. Not just me, but I got 12 friends that I'm taking with me. Something hit it off between Zacchaeus and the apostle Peter. Because after Jesus' ascension, Peter and all the apostles scattered in different directions, preaching the gospel, bringing it around the world because of persecution. Zacchaeus and Peter had to hook back up at some time. And Peter must have saw his lifestyle and how he continued to give. He continued to love. He continued to serve. And not just say, Lord, but live, Lord. And he said, come on. And he ordained Zacchaeus to not just be a minister, but to be a pastor of pastors over several churches in Caesarea in Palestine. So you don't know what God has planned for that worst sinner in your life. You don't know what he's got planned for that person who's going to receive a saving touch from the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And all it may take is 12 members of the church when somebody gets born again to walk up here and say, welcome to the family.